Hello and welcome to Sparkle Tech, episode number 46 in the series of musings and mutterings from my favorite city, San Francisco. It had been quite a while since I last wandered the legendary alleys of Chinatown. So long, in fact, that I'd forgotten how exciting and how stimulating to all of the senses those few blocks can be. Since my move to the other side of town some years ago, I hadn't spent a great deal of time there, and the moment for getting reacquainted with this storied San Francisco neighborhood, particularly its history, felt long overdue. Well, a friend of mine spotted an ad in the paper and shot me an email. Before I knew it, we were scheduled to learn a little bit about Chinatown in what for me is a novel sort of way. We took a tour. Chinatown Alleyway Tours. Okay, before I go any further, I've got to give some credit to the kids who led that tour. They were just fantastic, full of energy, enthusiasm, and, whether Chinatown locals or not, knowledge about the neighborhood. The thing that made this tour different from many of the others out there is that it's a youth-run and youth-led program sponsored by the nonprofit Adopt an Alleyway Youth Project, a 10-year-old organization that adopted Chinatown's alleyways because, for technical reasons, the city of San Francisco doesn't consider them a city responsibility. The kids have done an amazing job of cleaning up and maintaining these history-rich byways, simultaneously reinforcing a priceless cultural heritage and passing it on to a younger generation. Half a dozen ideas for Sparkle Tag shows grew out of the few hours I spent with them, and I'm grateful for their passion. A link to the organization's website is up on sparkletag.com, and I highly recommend their tour. But that's not what I really want to talk about today. No, what I want to talk about was inspired by a story one of the young tour guides told as we stopped in front of the famous Golden Gate Fortune Cookie Factory, an institution filling Ross Alley with the alluring aroma of baking cookies since 1962. He told us a tale that I'd somehow managed to miss for all of these many years. Namely, that the world-famous Chinese fortune cookie was invented right here in San Francisco. That's right, the fortune cookie is just about as Chinese as French toast is French, which is to say, not at all. In fact, our guide was born in China, immigrating to the U.S. as a very young child. When he brought a box of cookies back as gifts for relatives in Hong Kong one year, they looked at him askance. What were these American cookies? Turns out that it wasn't until the 1990s that the fortune cookie actually arrived in China. The New York-based Wonton Food Company, the largest fortune cookie manufacturer on earth, began producing the cookies in China in 1993, advertising them as genuine American fortune cookies. That project didn't last long, however. According to the president of the company, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it just didn't pan out. Fortune cookies are too American a concept. Our guide sketched the outlines of a history that is apparently very well known around here, but something told me that it could bear a little further investigation. So I started digging. What I discovered is that there are at least two competing claims regarding the creation of this delicate little treat, both dating back to the beginning of the 20th century, and even more confusion as to its deeper historical roots. Let's start with the modern era. The case of these two competing stories has a little extra punch because it falls into the familiar rubric of the feud between Los Angeles and San Francisco for cultural domination of California. The San Francisco case goes something like this. In 1894, San Francisco hosted the California Midwinter International Exposition, one of the attractions of which was the small Japanese village. 
A wealthy Japanese landscape gardener named Baron Makoto Hagiwara took over the grounds after the exhibition, expanding, redesigning, and refining the traditionally styled garden. He was appointed official caretaker and lived on the grounds with his family until his death in 1925. This garden's known today, of course, as Golden Gate Park's famous Japanese tea garden, a truly lovely spot and one of San Francisco's most deservedly popular tourist destinations. The garden made its world premiere, so to speak, at the famous 1915 Panama Pacific Exhibition. But perhaps you're wondering now what on earth a Japanese garden has to do with such an obviously Chinese delicacy. Then here we run into the first of the distant historic discrepancies. According to this version of the story, Hagawara had learned that his American customers expected something sweet along with their tea. He recalled the Shinto festivities of the New Year in the temple city of Kyoto, where a special version of a widely known Japanese cracker called Senbai had been served for generations. What made it special was that, that's right, the Tsuji-ura Senbai contained a Tsuji-ura, a writing that told one's fortunes. Hagawara rightly guessed that this elegant little cookie with its secret message, origami-like folds, and a little sugar blended in to accommodate American palates would be a tremendous success. He placed thank-you notes to his visitors inside and introduced the innovation at that Panama Pacific exhibition where his expectations were proved absolutely right. In the meantime, Chinese restaurateurs had also been faced by dessert demands from their own sweet-toothed American customers. Chinese cuisine traditionally offers cool orange slices or concoctions of sweet red bean paste after meals. But apparently these more authentic treats just didn't cut the turn-of-the-century mustard here. Hagawara never took out a patent on his popular cookie. Indeed, I'm certain such a thing never occurred to him. And the restaurateurs of Chinatown enterprisingly adopted the treat. A few decades later came the shameful anti-Japanese hysteria of World War II. Like so many others in San Francisco, and indeed throughout the country, Hagawara's family was evicted from the garden and shipped off to internment camps, banned from their home forever. In their absence, the Japanese association with the cookies began to atrophy, and Chinatown made them their own, replacing Hagawara's thank-you notes with Confucian fortunes and giving them the name which we know them by today, the fortune cookie. From San Francisco's Chinatown, they quickly spread across the country and the world like a particularly toothsome cultural virus. That's the San Francisco story. The Los Angeles version is that the Cantonese-born David Jung, a baker and restaurateur, began baking cookies with slips of paper inside around 1918. The notes contained words of encouragement and inspiration, and the warm-hearted Jung distributed them out to the post-World War I poor and homeless gathered in the city streets. Jung went on to found the Hong Kong Noodle Company, one of the early successful commercial producers of the fortune cookie. His inspiration, and that cited by many supporters of the Chinese version of the distant history origin, comes from a revolution plotted in China way back in the 14th century. The Han people were invaded by Mongolians from the north, leading to the tyrannical rule of the Yuan dynasty. Chinese patriots plotted the overthrow of this dynasty, but needed to figure out how to get the message to the people to revolt on the same day without spilling the beans to the Mongolians. They devised a brilliant plan. Permission was sought from the invaders to honor the Mongolian emperor by giving gifts all across the land. 
Knowing that the Mongols couldn't stand the taste of their lotus nut paste filling, the gifts were to be moon cakes distributed only to the Han people. Inside every moon cake was hidden a secret message, revolt on the 15th of the 8th moon. And this they did, throwing off the invaders and laying the groundwork for the long-lived Ming dynasty as well as, so they say, for the fortune cookie. Chinese communities all over the world, including our own Chinatown, celebrate the yearly autumn moon festival with moon cakes, and a tradition of giving cakes with messages on all sorts of important occasions, such as the birth of a child was born. This, so they say, is what inspired David Jung. To further confuse the issue, though, and as a San Franciscan to bring it back home, it's also reported that this custom was brought to San Francisco by Chinese laborers who journeyed to California in the latter part of the 19th century, especially those who worked on the construction of the Transcontinental Railroad. In isolated labor camps out on the line, mooncake ingredients were impossible to come by. At moon festival time, the understandably homesick laborers were reduced to using some kind of hard western biscuits instead. They brought this somewhat modified tradition back to San Francisco after the railroad's completion, and it took hold in Chinatown, long before Hagawara or Jung ever popped dough into an oven. Whatever their provenance, these complicated little cookies were made by hand in Chinatown for almost half a century. They were made with chopsticks, in fact, until automation began in the early 60s when San Franciscan Edward Louie invented a machine that placed the fortune inside and automatically folded it up. Cool as that is, though, the fact that 20,000 cookies a day are handmade by two women at the Golden Gate Fortune Cookie Factory on Ross Alley is cooler still than well worth a visit. Pop your head into the doorway, admire the turn-of-the-century technology on display, and sample a free cookie from the reject pile. Fortunes come in an incredible range of themes these days. Hagawara's original thank you notes are long gone, and early Chinatown fortunes featuring everything from biblical sayings to aphorisms from Confucius, Aesop, or Ben Franklin have been under great pressure for change due to the sheer number of cookies now being baked. They now feature almost anything you could imagine, from X-rated fortunes to lottery numbers. The aforementioned giant wonton food factory in New York churns out 4 million cookies a day. By the early 80s, their catalog was badly in need of an update. An example from the 1940s, which appears in a New Yorker article, is Find Someone as Gay as You Are. And their current writer, Vice President Donald Lau, was selected for the assignment not because of his poetical chops, but simply because his English was the best of the group. Lau draws inspiration from everything from the Chinese I Ching to signs in the subway. Beware of odors from unfamiliar sources. After a quarter century and thousands of maxims, though, he's finally hit writer's block and is starting to worry about customers noticing reruns. In fact, if you're a writer looking for a seriously large distribution, there may be an opening on Long Island very soon. Start working on your library of snappy ten-word sentences. Our alleyway tour guide happened to mention that the Los Angeles-San Francisco dispute had actually gone to court and that the matter had been settled once and for all by a federal judge. Well, sort of. This is another of those widely circulated facts which turns out to be not quite true. The trial was held, but it was a mock trial, held in 1983 by San Francisco's Court of Historic Review and Appeals. 
Though having no legal standing, this informal court has adjudicated a number of vitally important cases dealing with San Francisco history, including the settling of such crucial questions as who invented the martini? Who owns Alcatraz? Did Mark Twain actually utter that famous line about the coldest winter he ever spent being a summer in San Francisco? Then, of course, the question of who rightfully holds the honor of having invented the fortune cookie. The trial actually was presided over by a federal judge, San Franciscan Daniel M. Hanlon, in fact, but not in any official capacity. Included among the evidence was a fortune cookie whose message read, San Francisco judge who rules for Los Angeles, not very smart cookie. To absolutely no one's surprise, the judge ruled in favor of our fair city and the claim of Hagawara's tea garden. Equally unsurprisingly, Los Angeles denounced the ruling, and the controversy rages on. That sounds a little bit like a joke, but in fact, as I researched this show, I stumbled across an online San Francisco history message board on which the controversy is still, well, if not precisely raging, at least smoldering. Someone posted this request. I understand the fortune cookie originated in Chinatown. Need details. The next mile and a half of postings by people as ostensibly authoritative as a Golden Gate Park tour guide and a descendant of Hagawara reflected dozens of misleading and incomplete fragments of the explanations I've just discussed, as well as nationalist chauvinisms that kept rearing their ugly heads with words such as usurped and co-opted, an unpleasant mirroring of historical realities slightly larger than a plate of lightly sweetened cookies. What seems clear to me is that there are legitimate roots in China and Japan, and no way, barring access to a time machine, to determine beyond the shadow of a doubt which culture planted the very first seed. As far as the invention of the fortune cookie here in California, it seems to me that the one thing that people probably can agree on is the ironic appropriateness of its name in light of its development by people who emigrated here with the purpose of literally seeking their own fortunes. Chinese or Japanese, I'd say that based on the late 19th century infusion of Asian peoples to the California mix, it was one of those ideas whose time had simply come, something like the simultaneous discovery of insulin in the 1920s, or the development of radar by scientists in Germany, Great Britain, Japan, and the U.S. in the 1930s. Hagawara and Jung independently gave a uniquely Californian expression to something that had an authentic, whatever that really means, an authentic basis in their own cultures because the time and place were right. So, who invented the fortune cookie? As a San Francisco partisan, my instinct, of course, is to point to Golden Gate Park and Hagawara's tea garden. As a person, however, who worries about pat answers and tries to pay attention to the inherent muddledness and unclarity of history, I have to admit that we really can't be certain. Ultimately, though, this is a truly local cookie in the sense that it was born in the Wild West, its roots come from elsewhere, and that its very story is passionately disputed just as it's passionately cracked open and eaten by the people of our city. Can't think of anything more San Franciscan than that, can you? Thanks go out this week to 31D1 for supplying the track Gordon Shumway, provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check them out at music.podshow.com. I probably also ought to offer a blanket apology for any mispronunciation of non-English words in this episode. The only thing worse than my Japanese is my Mandarin and Cantonese, as tut mir leid. 
The usual assortment of entertaining links appears on the SparkleTech.com website, and I'm reachable there on the comments page or by email at sparkletech at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time. <laughs>